Good morning. From the time the church began, as described in Acts chapter 2, it has always been God's intention for the church to be supernatural. Always. And one of the ways that we see that supernaturalness of the church is often seen and felt by how well we intentionally do life together in a community. So here we are, Intentional Community Part 2 in our current series of Intentional. It's God's idea for us to intentionally live together like, like a family in a God-centered, gospel-centered way. That's how the church began, and that's how it's supposed to be today. I'm wondering, do we look like our spiritual great-great-great-great-great-great-great church grandparents? Well, how did they get up there? That is Gideon and Colton, and they are my grandchildren. Thank you. But it's got a point, because there's a whole lot of in the Davison house going on like now. Like, whose ears do they look like? Oh, that's definitely Davison ears. And those toes and those sweet little lips, all of this going on, right? And in the same way that we can look back at a baby picture to see who he looks like, we are also, as an April 25th, 2021 church, we're able to look back and see what our spiritual great, 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 great church grandparents look like. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Let's see if we look like each other. This is where the church explodes into existence and is supernaturally launched into the world, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had arrived... Pentecost in the Old Testament books of Leviticus and Numbers, that was a festival known as the Feast of Weeks. It's still a Jewish celebration that exists today. But in the New Testament, Pentecost signals the beginning of the church and our spiritually great, 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 great church grandparents. That probably is the last time I'm going to say that. Great, great, great. Maybe. And here they are. They're all together in one place. The, the they, it's like 120-ish people that are mentioned in chapter 1. Peter's there. Probably a lot of the other disciples are there because one of the things that they're going to do is select a new disciple to take the place of Jesus. Of Judas. So, in the day, so here we are, the day of Pentecost. They're all together. And then this happens, verse 2. Suddenly, a sound like of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And tongues like flames of fire that were divided appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Wind and fire all throughout the Bible are commonly associated with the presence of God being close. Verse 4, then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in different languages as the Spirit gave them the ability for speech. That's supernatural. No one signed up for a foreign language class. No one took out their app on their phone and converted the languages. Here they are. These were Jews living in Jerusalem. Verse 5, devout men from every nation under heaven when this sound occurred, a crowd came together. Like, what was that? Did you hear that sound? And it was confused because each one of them heard speaking in their own language. And they were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each one of us can hear in our own native language? 
And so then like 20 people groups are rattled off through verses 9 through 11. And verse 11 ends with, they all heard the magnificent acts of God in their own language. And they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this be? It was the birth of the church and the Holy Spirit. But some sneered and said, they're full of new wine. They're drunk. There's always going to be doubters until that one day, one day, every knee will bow, either willingly or otherwise, and it will confess, we will all confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus, Peter then goes on and he gives this sermon and he says, listen up, they're not drunk, it's 9 a.m. Apparently happy hour existed then. And he shares the gospel with the crowd that has gathered. And verse 41 says, So those who accepted his message were baptized. We're going to do that today. And, the, and, and that day about 3,000 people were added to them. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And verse 44, Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with a joyful and humble attitude, praising God and having favor with all the people. And every day the Lord added to them those who were being saved. That's what we're supposed to look like. Together, devoted to the apostles' teaching. Together fellowshipping, together breaking bread, eating, together praying, together holding all things in common, together helping one another, together praising God, and together be a part of the Lord, adding to the church those who are saved. Do you see the similarities? The supernatural church born in Acts 2 is the same supernatural church that exists today in 2021. It has always been God's intention for the church to be supernatural, always, and to be supernatural together. Look back at verse 38 and 39 of Acts 2, part of Peter's sermon, repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. That's us as many as the Lord our God will call. To live in a gospel-centered community first means that the Lord God has personally called you and given you the gift of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. There is no other way to the Father except through the Son, Jesus Christ. In gospel, it simply means good news. And it's a really great name for a group of people to identify themselves as. Good news, church. Good news, believers. And what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's that sinful people can be made right with God by repenting of their sins and calling upon Jesus to be their Savior and their Lord. And when a person does that, the focus, the central focus of how a person thinks, and lives is gospel-centered. So when we talk about intentional community, 
if it isn't defined by the gospel, it is going to get ugly. Let's just say it. We, you, me, us, we are a mess. A bunch of messed up human beings. I was actually looking to see if anyone would leave. And nobody left. So either you're in shock by that statement or you agree. Amen. And when I say messed up, I mean what the Bible calls messed up. That we have all sinned. That's not a debate. That's a fact. You can see me afterwards if you think you are the one exception to that. But miraculously and supernaturally, most in here proclaim to be saved by grace, rescued by Jesus. And now we are attempting to live with one another together. Sounds like it's going to take another miracle to me. Exactly. It's called the work of the Holy Spirit. The same work of the Holy Spirit that you received at your salvation is the same Holy Spirit in us now that can pull this off. And we have the Bible to be our guide and our help to do this. Think of all the different backgrounds throughout this room. Start, start with the ethnicity factor. All the different customs of life in this place. There's a big difference between a Dutch and an Italian and an African and a Puerto Rican and a German and especially watch out for the Irish. <laughs> it's different. And our education all throughout this room, there are GDEs and PhDs and everything in between. And you've achieved those things through all different kinds of schooling, public, private, homeschooled. All these different experiences make us really, really different. And wealth. In this room, there's a lot of well-to-do with lots of surplus resources all the way down to nearly broke and barely making it. And then you're going to throw in different hobbies, different likes and dislikes, and this can get pretty dicey in a hurry. People all across this room love the same Jesus, but so, so different. Some of you in here have never missed a day of church in your life. You were like literally born into the church. You know everything there is about the church. You've never had a time where the church hasn't influenced your life. You know all of the books of the Bible and in order. You know all the famous Bible stories, like by age five. You want these people on your Bible trivia pursuit team. You do. Probably one of your first words was Jesus. And then there are other people in here who grew up saying Jesus in a whole different way. <laughs> Jesus Christ was a cuss word. Every sentence either started or ended with that name. And some people in here have lived a hard life. Violence, crime, addiction, maybe still struggling with some of these things. And there's another group in here who have just grown up thinking that some false teaching was true. Mr. Moralist, agnostic, atheist, Judaism, Buddhist, the list goes on forever. Honestly, we don't have a clue how to relate to all these different experiences. But what do we do? We celebrate the grace of God in you and each other. 
If you are a child of God this morning, you are a trophy of grace. And that's what we celebrate. There are many places in the Bible where we could look today to look at how to live with one another. A hundred times in 94 verses in the New Testament, the words one another are found. 47 of those are direct instructions to the followers of Jesus. Paul wrote like 60% of them. I think it's safe to say, with so much teaching about one anothering, that we learn about community and we apply it intentionally, and that it should be a top priority for us. One third of the one another's, that's 33% for you math majors, not math majors, are about unity. That's the church getting along with each other. I think that should be a top priority. Another third of the one another's is about loving one another. That sounds like it should be a top priority. Unity and love make up like 66.7 of the one another's. Then add in another 15% that stress the humility and the deference among believers. Like you don't always get your own way and that's okay. And some of them are even about kissing one another. Oh, some of you perked up. <laughs> it's true. Four times Paul tells the church to just pucker up and kiss. And Peter says it. Some of you might need some proof, and we've got that for you. 2 Corinthians 13, 2. Greet one another with a holy kiss. You might want to circle holy. Just make sure it's the right kind there. So with lots of intentional community options to consider throughout the New Testament, this morning I want us to zero in on Romans chapter 12, 9 through 13. I want to read these five verses and then work our way through them. Love must be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Show family affection to one another with brotherly love. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints and their needs. Pursue hospitality. Verse 9 says, Intentional community loves without hypocrisy. Intentional community loves in a way that is genuine and true. It's not fake. It's not pretend. It's not smug and holier than thou. It's a love that accepts each other despite our imperfections. It's a love that allows us to admit sins and struggles one to another. But here's the key. Because it's a genuine love and it allows for a safe environment for people to be honest and share where they are in life, this type of community love, this genuine love, it isn't accepting or indifferent to ongoing repentant sin. Like, there is no place for ho-hum, sarah, whatever will be when it comes to sin in the gospel-centered community. We take it seriously. That's what the Bible teaches. It teaches that in Romans 6.1. What should we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may multiply? Answer, Romans 6.2. Absolutely not. To have the mindset 
that God loves me so much that no matter what I do, regardless of what I do, that God is just going to keep forgiving me so they can just keep on showing this amazing grace? Absolutely not. May it not be so. God forbid. So intentional community loves with a genuine love that is real and honest and sincere. Next statement in verse 9. Intentional community detests evil and intentional community clings to what is good. What is evil? Whatever it is, we're supposed to detest it. What is good? Whatever it is, we are to cling to it, hold it tightly and keep it close. And who decides what is evil and what is good? And this is really important for us today in our culture that we live in because there are a lot of people who kind of think, I'll pick what's right and wrong. I'll pick what's good and evil. God determines what is right and wrong and good and evil. We don't get to do that. But what we do get to do as Christians is what God loves, we love. And what God hates, we hate. Proverbs 6 tells us what he calls evil and what he hates. That's strong language. The Lord hates six things. In fact, seven are detestable to him. There's the same word. Arrogant eyes, pride. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood, like a murderer, a fighter, a brawler. A heart that plots wicked schemes. Violent crime, stealing, dangerous. Feet running, eager to run to evil mischievous, troublemakers. <laughs> kind of reminds me of peaceful reporting here in Oregon, and in the background, buildings are burning. A lying witness giving false testimony. It's the second time lying is mentioned. One who stirs up trouble among brothers. That could be a lot of things, like a gossip, an instigator. He hates that. And Philippians 4.8 tells us what God loves. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence, if there's any praise, dwell on these things. Cling to these things. Latch on to these things. And an intentional community will, Romans 12, 2, not be conformed to this age. Does everybody know what this age is made up of? 1 John 2.16 tells us that it's the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life that we are not to be conformed to that age, but we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we'll be able to discern what is good and pleasing and the perfect will of God. Verse 10, intentional community will show family affection to one another with brotherly love outdoing one another and showing honor. Brotherly kindness is a major theme of the New Testament. In a healthy family, the idea is that brothers and sisters help each other. Family sees someone in trouble. They help one another. They rally around them. I find this to be a really interesting verse because I don't know if you've grown up in a house with a brother or not, but there are times that it does not look like brotherly love. You know, my family's coming to the 11, so I'll say this now. 
I don't know what I'm going to do at the 11. Family, sometimes we get on each other's nerves. In church, it can kind of be the same way. And that's where we need that gospel-centered thinking to take over and kick in. John 13, 34, Jesus said, A new command I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also to love one another. So when I understand that God being able to love me despite me, then I'm able to lose love others despite others. That's the truth of that verse. And when it happens, it looks like this trying to outdo one another and giving honor. Now, I just, as a parent, I would just love for this to be a 24-7 in my house, loading up to go somewhere. I got front seat. No, you get front seat. No, you take front seat. And there's like this, we're late because they're arguing, standing at the door. Who's getting in the front seat? Shotgun. Go to the freezer. One popsicle left. Oh, you take the popsicle. No, you take the popsicle. Let's split it in half. Get the idea? I want to watch a movie. Well, we'll watch whatever you want. No, you watch whatever you want. You get this idea of what's going on right here. Okay? That's, the entire, that's the kind of intentional community that we want around here. I kid you not, on purpose, because I knew this sentence was coming, I parked way, way out in the back so that all the front rows would be available for you today during the rain. When you go out, look, gray truck way back there. I didn't want to be toe stepped on in conviction there. (laughs) Verse 11. Do not lack diligence. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. And just a quick point. Fervent can be described as focused desired. It's characterized by passion and zeal and commitment. It's just a straightforward verse and it's command. Community, community, us. Be intentional in serving God. Be intentional in serving one another. Don't be lack of diligence in this. And then verse 12 comes with three more commands. An intentional community will rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Rejoice in hope. What does that mean? It means that there's a coming day when there will be no more funerals because there's no more death. It means there's a coming day when there's no more doctor visits because there's no more cancer. Aren't you sick and tired of cancer? It's what Kenan referred to earlier. We're pressing on for another day. We're going to rejoice in that hope. No more tragedies happen. No more terrorism happens. That's what it means to rejoice in hope. I hope that you're rejoicing in hope when Jesus comes and fixes everything back the way it's supposed to be and it's all new. And in the meantime, we are to be patient in tribulation. So while we're looking forward to that day, we have to be patient now. Trust the sovereign God of the universe to handle any and all situations of your life. I read this the other day. I think I shared it with staff. I'm going to give you six words to hold, to preach to yourself, to give to others. I can trust God in this. You can trust God in this. 
We can trust God in this. Whatever the this is, trust God. And as we do that, we grow more and more in Christ and we grow together. This is a super, super countercultural way of thinking. To think that there is a loving God who might actually bring heartaches and difficulties, hardships into my life, that God might actually wound us and cause us pain, and that he would do those things so that it would draw us closer to him, oh, that would be worth it. But that ain't the normal way to think. It's a gospel-centered way of thinking. I do like the lyrics from the song Blessings by Laura Story. We share a couple of them. What if blessings came through raindrops? What if your healing comes through tears? What if a thousand sleepless nights are what it takes to know God is dear? What if my greatest disappointments or the aching of this life is the revealing of a greater thirst this world cannot satisfy? What if the trials of this life, the rains, the storms, the hardest nights are mercies in disguise? Here's the truth of the Bible. Just because you love Jesus and you follow Jesus, things might not go as you plan. The Bible gives lots and lots of examples of people who served Jesus with all, of their might and all their might. And from an earthly perspective, it doesn't look like it seems to end so well. Just flip back to Hebrews chapter 11, and here's this listening of some of them were tortured, some of them were flogged, some of them were put in chains and imprisonment, some of them put to death by stoning, some of them were sawed in two, and some of them were pierced with a sword. And maybe someone's sitting here thinking, wait, I thought if you come to Jesus, everything just kind of goes well. My health, my money, my success. Ah, I'd like to just shoot you straight then give you that kind of false gospel. While on this side of heaven, a Christian will face tribulations and difficulties. But it does end well. It ends really well, perfectly well to anyone who puts their trust in Jesus Christ as the forgiver of their sins. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says that for are light and momentary afflictions. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 1 Peter 5.10 And the God of all grace, who called you to this eternal Christ, glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast which means we need to live in a community constantly in prayer. That's the third command here in Romans chapter, verse 12. Regularly pray for one another and with one another. If you're not connected to a group of people who regularly, play, who regularly prays for you and with you, hold on. Because in a few minutes, I want to tell you how we can fix that problem. And that is a problem. But first, let's finish with verse 13. 
even though Romans 12 just keeps trucking through with more instructions on gospel-centered community. We're going to end here at verse 13 today. Intentional community will share with the saints and their needs and pursue hospitality. If you're saved, you are a saint. God here, people who have been called out by God, who have been set apart, are saints. Today, we usually use the word Christians, but you wouldn't be wrong to call each other saint. I mean, if you want to look to the left and right and do that right now, hello, saint. John, glad you're here today. And we contribute to the needs of the saints. And most likely when you hear this, you think physical needs, materialistic needs, and you'd be right. Groceries, gas, transportations, lawn mode, babysitting, washer dryer, all of these and more, 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 more. But it also includes spiritual needs as well. Just as there are people who are able to contribute to their physical needs because they have a surplus of help, it's also true that there are people who have various spiritual gifts to help you in spiritual need as well. Look above in chapter 12 here of Romans, verses 4 through 8. We have different gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the standards of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in exhorting. If giving, with generosity. Leading, with diligence. Showing mercy, with cheerfulness. There's a smorgasbord of help, spiritual help, to the body of Christ to contribute to the needs of the saints. Look across the page, Hebrews 15.1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength. I really, really believe it's both physical and spiritual needs that are being met that are talked about here. Open up your home to hospitality. Pursue it. Have people over. Contribute to both their physical and their spiritual needs. That's what we do if we're going to be an intentional, centered, gospel-centered community. And here's how it looks here at Good News. Big church, that's what we call this. Community groups, Christian discipleship groups, here's how it looks. We have two services, five, six, seven hundred people coming. And on Sunday mornings, we gather just like our spiritual great, 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 I guess I'm going to say it one more time, spiritual great, 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 great grandparents. And we primarily devote ourselves to the teaching of the apostles. Like one guy is doing most of the talking here. We do some fellowshipping. We do some breaking of bread. We do some praying. But all the things that we've seen here from Romans chapter 12 today, really, we don't do in great detail here on Sunday mornings. And as much as we pray for more and more people to come to good news on Sunday mornings, and we may get bigger and bigger, we really want to get smaller and smaller during the week, because that's where real discipleship happens. I went to one this week. It was fabulous. 20-ish people hanging out, doing all of these things like our spiritual church grandparents so intentionally well. Not only do we want to make more disciples of Jesus Christ, we want to make better disciples of Jesus Christ. And here's how we do it with the small groups and even smaller accountability groups, discipleship groups, real small in number, but real intentional. We don't take prayer requests here on Sunday mornings, but we do in community groups. 
We don't eat together here on Sunday mornings. Can you imagine? But we do in community groups. Let me close with just two recent emails that I, I get the blessing as being when the pastor's here. I get stuff like this. And I want to share it with you, with permission. And they just perfectly represent intentional, gospel-centered community here at Good News. Email number one. Hello, everyone. Hello. I might have been better than the baby earlier. Hello, everyone. How about we all get together this next Tuesday evening, eat a bunch of good food, and visit with each other, share and discuss some of the Bible values that we've been taught in our Sunday morning sermons, and spend time praying to the one who makes all of this possible. Or I could have just said, come to community group. Our food theme for this week is Mexican, but anything and any amount is welcomed. If you get held up at work, Come when you can. Please continue to pray for Kurt and Tina as they face tough health challenges together. Looking forward to our time together. That's about 20 people who meet every other Tuesday at the church house intentionally. I am recommending, no, I am pleading, I'm urging we get connected like that. And the second email comes from a discipleship group accountability group. Hey, Doug, I just wanted to let you know how encouraged I am about my accountability group so far. There are five of us, and I believe all of us have experienced a significant improvement in our relation with Christ and our wives and families. We have shared some significant victories over sin and the temptation to sin, and our wives have expressed their delight over our group as well. I hope at the next large gathering we get the opportunity to share and to hear from different groups and their success stories. I think it would be awesome as well to hear from a couple of the wives about the impact of the accountability groups. It might be a great way to get more men interested in accountability groups. I really believe we are seeing the beginning of something that could have a massive impact on our church body. Thanks for your time. God bless. The responsibility of everyone in here is to take seriously the commands of God and intentionally one another in a gospel-centered community. Let's pray. Lord, your word has spoken, and we trust it to be true, and I thank you for revealing that to us, that we can trust your word. And I would just ask, Father, that it would have its effect to the fullest degree that you want it to have. I thank you for the community of Good News Church that you've allowed this place to be built up at this time in history here in Ocala where we can have unity one another, we can love one another, we can even kiss one another. And we do it to live out the gospel, to live out the work of the Holy Spirit that you have put into us. Oh, I thank you for it so. And Father, I would ask for your praise and your glory alone that you would increase how it is done here. 
let it be such a movement here within our church body that the outside world would say, hey, what is going on? I want to know about that. I want to glorify your Father. I'd ask that you would make that so. In Jesus' name we pray.